Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachma. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Hello and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Tuesday, May 9th, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice, on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the two words that say start here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? And that chapter of the book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for over 18 years to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again, absolutely free. You can also download a whole host of audio files or shows just like this one where people have been stepped through that worksheet process. And if you choose to listen to those, they can serve as a tutorial to help you get maximum benefits from the use of these tools in the shortest amount of time possible. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you choose to tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It also contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process. And it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. And we help people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives as they do that and actively apply these tools in their life. And secondarily because 
it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, we would appreciate you doing so by calling 563-999-3581 and press 1 on your phone. Or you can email us. You can email me at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org. Or you can email Jeannie at J-E-A-N-I-E at whyagain.org. That's W-H-Y-A-G-A-I-N dot O-R-G. And if you email us, uh, we will do our best to address those comments or questions or testimonials or answers on the Internet show, and then as time allows, send you a notification about what day and time we addressed your comment, and you can listen back to the archives for your feedback. And we appreciate when anybody does that, either calling live or emailing, because it makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work. The intention with this work is to be of service. So let us know, how can we be of service to you? 563-999-3581. Today's a Tuesday, and so that means we will be having a support group tonight, 6.30 to 9 p.m. Central Time, through Zoom. Anyone is welcome to join us. It's an absolutely free process. All the information you would need to join us is available on the MindShiftersAcademy.org website. And please remember there's a separate page for the login info for Tuesdays and a separate page for the login information for Thursdays. And either feel free to join us yourself or pass that information along to somebody you think might benefit. So I do not know what we will be doing in our support group tonight. We have the option of listening to Dale Ellen Hoffman's latest presentation. We have the option of listening to the Pierre Pratervan interview I did yesterday or the Brooke Seam interview I did this morning. A very bright young woman who spent 15 years on antidepressants and anti-anxiety agents and was still depressed until she decided to get off of them and went through horrible withdrawals but stayed the course and found the benefit to her life of um, getting out of that routine and awakening to all of the different ways that those drugs were numbing her out rather than helping her. Um, It's clear they weren't helping her because she was still actively suicidal when she finally decided to get off of them. So um, a young woman who is being very brave in telling her story and trying to help raise awareness about the difficulties with long-term application of antidepressants, especially for adolescents and um, and the detriment of being on those meds without doing therapy at the same time and or making sure that the the duration of the use of those medications is short-lived, as they were always intended to be. So the title of her book is May Cause Side Effects, and it's available wherever you would get your books. 
and her name is Brooke with an E, B-R-O-O-K-E, Seem, S-I-E-M. So, I do not know what we'll do in our Tuesday support group. Maybe it'll all be discussion. Maybe it'll be worksheets. Maybe it'll be listening to a, a teacher like one of the ones I mentioned or somebody else. But you and or anyone you think might be interested is welcome to join us. So, please pass that info along if you're so inclined. And we have plenty of time today for comments or questions or answers or support with doing worksheets or framing out worksheets. We have been working with the essays in the book A Walk in the Physical, and I've seen increasingly more parallels between the work that Pierre Prattervan promotes and the Way of Mastery from our last year's work reading through the way of mastery with uh, what I would consider great care um, and commentary. And um, I find, I'll say the most um, benefit, I was going to say maximum, I don't know, if there is more I can get. But I find that the most benefit for myself coming from when I look for the similarities between spiritual teachings and or teachers and as I mentioned um, having interviewed Pierre Pradervan yesterday and his talking about the need for self-compassion and self-love. <clears throat> and that's what prompted me to read the essay number 56 from the way of Walk in the Physical that's titled, You Are Treasured Beyond Comprehension. And if you hear a title like that or you sit through the reading of an essay like that, you are treasured beyond comprehension. You are a completely unique and irreplaceable portion of all that is. If you hear that and there's any kind of resistance or contraction or naysaying inside of you, that would be a good mind shifter or a good sentence completion or a good series of topics for if there's a negative emotion that comes up, you could put that on a reality management worksheet and dismantle whatever it is in you that wants to push that thought away. A lot of these spiritual teachings, especially the old biblical ones, talk about hiding your light under a bushel basket. And the idea there is you are a light. You have a light. Your awareness is a light. Your presence is a light, is positive, is a blessing, is of value. If you have consciousness and awareness and you exist, it is the light of creation, the light of 
the creator that animates you. You can hide that from yourself, but it doesn't dim the light. It doesn't put out the light. It doesn't change the light. You can cover it with bushel baskets, garbage, trauma energies, negative talk, thoughts of self-loathing, and it does not affect the light except to block your view of it. So I would encourage you, if you are hearing, feeling, sensing any negativity in you when someone says, you are the light, you have greater value than you could imagine, you are loved beyond belief, that you explore that tension or negativity or naysaying and find a way to the best of your ability using whatever tools you have at your disposal to remove those energies or beliefs I think it's entirely worth the effort the next essay I will read is titled Awakening Through Freedom from Belief. And this essay is number 60 in the book, A Walk in the Physical. And the essay reads, There is nothing you believe that you didn't first decide to buy into at some point. Even your deepest assumptions about how reality works, these are viewpoints that you had to establish. Physical reality is a defined context that provides a neutral mirror through which you may experience the nature of your perspectives and beliefs. Now this is absolutely a teaching from Guy Finley. He tells a story about a person who awakens in a new kingdom, having done some spiritual work, and and they're in the new kingdom, and they're ushered into um, the new kingdom, and they're shown around this new home that they were given. And there's a minister there teaching them about the new kingdom and the new, their new home. And of course, the, the person's in a brand new environment, in, in a new house and in a new world and a new environment, and so they're kind of on overload. And they nod and they say, yes, yes, fine, and the minister's giving all these detailed descriptions as they take the tour of the home, and then the minister leaves. And then over the course of the next couple of weeks, that person in the new kingdom has several circumstances in their life that go haywire. They, they see somebody they're attracted to because they've got lots of money or because they're beautiful or because they seem to have a high-powered job and they get involved with them and they, time and time again they get involved with these people and they lose a bunch of money or they get betrayed. 
and now they're, they're living in their house thinking everything is backwards in this kingdom. They had a, actually had a, a situation where they were out and they saw somebody and they thought, oh my God, that person's the most disgusting person ever. And then within that later that day, they see that person do one of the most loving things they've ever seen. So everything seems backwards to them. The people that they think they should be able to trust and are they get betrayed by and the people that they think you know are disgusting they turn out to be wonderful and, and loving and then the minister comes back and asks the person so how's it going and the person says it's horrible everything is backward in this kingdom nothing is the way it should be and the minister says what do you mean and so the person tells him of all of these events that have happened and they're upset and uh, the, the minister says, well, let me ask you something. Are you sure you're looking out your window in the right way? And the person in the new kingdom thinks, oh, my God, this guy is an idiot. Anybody knows how to look through a window. You just stand there and look out the window. And he says, of course I'm looking through the window in the right way. What, what do you mean? What does that question mean? And the minister said, well, as I explained to you, in your initial tour of the house, you've got this one living room with this big bay window that looks out the and And you might have noticed that it's highly reflective. And the guy says, yeah, I know. It's kind of an, an irritation thing. I've got a, an irritating thing. I've got to, like, cup my hands to block out the light on this side to look out through it to see what's going on out there. And the minister says, no, no. The thing about this window is, and everything in this kingdom operates this way you must first see yourself in whatever you're looking at in order to see things clearly you must first see yourself in whatever you're looking at in order to see things clearly now in guy finley's story he's talking about some fantasy of a person who's a spiritual uh, aspirant in another kingdom who goes into a new kingdom this book a walk in the physical says this is our lives physical reality is a defined context that provides a neutral mirror through which you may experience the nature of your beliefs and perspectives you only see what you tell your mind to show you you see through the filter of your beliefs you see what your perception creates for you to see this essay goes on and says physical reality is such that through its constraints you may very richly experience your unique perspective in a reality like ours that perspective can get incredibly deep over the course of a lifetime so convincingly deep that you can forget entirely where you have come from or even what your assumptions are this in fact is one of the reasons the physical experience is so valuable to the soul it allows you to experience a defined and unique perspective firsthand 
Another reason is that such a deep perspective allows for very rich place from which you can make choices so that you can ultimately evolve the quality of your intent toward love. Evolving the quality of your intent toward love. Strengthening your focus on your intent toward love. As we undertake our exceptionally long journeys across space and time, we seek to grow towards love. An important part of growing towards love is growing past fear. And as humans, our beliefs are often put in place to protect us from our fears. Thus, in fact, we're doing a great service when we decide to confront our beliefs and face the fears that they were protecting us from. That awakening process is a very meaningful awakening process indeed. When we face our fear, not only are we able to free ourselves from its shackles, we are able to then actualize a more loving presence in our world for everyone else. Even as deep and convincing as this physical experience and its resulting beliefs can be, if you remove or look past all of the thoughts and beliefs, you will find that beneath them is always what you truly are, and that is your awareness itself. Your awareness is the silent witness to all of your thoughts and beliefs, the presence that beholds your entire physical existence. Your awareness is you. Your current beliefs and identity details are not you. In fact, you do not need to believe anything or think anything or do anything. If you feel otherwise, it is only because you believe so. And this is one of the powerful messages from the way of mastery. You need do nothing. And that is not a call for sitting in one place and not moving. That is not a statement that you extract yourself from the world and pretend that no world is out there. That's simply an invitation to the awareness that you are always free to choose again. You are always free to choose for love, to choose to act from your true nature, which is love, to, sh to choose to see through eyes that intend to see only the loving aspects of life, to hear through ears that filter out everything that's less than love, to speak only words that teach only love. The idea 
that you do not need to do anything, believe anything, or think anything is simply an invitation to awaken to the freedom that you're always free to choose again, to choose for love. The last paragraph of this essay says, you do not need to fear changing your beliefs or viewpoints at any level. You're completely free to do that. In fact, you will find that as you let go of the assumptions that have bound you and truly face and process your fears, you're more free than ever. For the spirit itself is much more than the forms it temporarily beholds. And there is always great joy when you take a step closer toward what you really are. The next essay is titled, Choose Joy. And I frequently text this and email this to different people. Please remember to choose joy today, soon and often. Essay number 61 is titled, Choose Joy. It reads, We are not here to struggle, suffer, and merely survive. We are here to thrive as the beings of joy that we truly are. But, oftentimes, we perceive to be in the demands of the world that cause us to fall into seriousness. Way of Mastery has a line where it says, please do not let seriousness enter the mind. The essay reads, our worldview requires things of us, and in heeding those things that our worldview requires of us, we quickly get bogged down by the responsibilities that we have heaped upon ourselves. It's not the outside world that heaps these responsibilities on us. The essay goes on and says, none of it is required. None of the seriousness, heaviness, or stress is required. At the most fundamental level, nothing is required of us because awareness itself is perfectly free and in fact awareness fully transcends the forms that it allows itself to get lost in thus while we are here on earth the invitation is to allow ourselves to let go and choose joy there is never a circumstance in which you are not allowed to choose joy, should you so wish. Five six three nine 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 three five eight one. If you call that number and press one, we can have a conversation. How is this landing for you? What is it stirring up for you? This is 
antithetical to the Western training that I got through school, from kindergarten through grade school, high school and college, even my graduate school. I've talked about this before. I had professors in graduate school that sat with me and coached me to say to patients, how did it make you feel when he or she did that? Literally using words to continue to codify and solidify the idea that outside events cause my emotions. This is saying you are free to choose. You're free to choose joy. You're free to choose the beliefs. You're choose to question the beliefs. You're free to begin to see how the beliefs and assumptions that you've bought into are actively shaping the filters that drive your perception every moment of every day. That can't be. How many times have you come up with the idea, that can't be? You've heard yourself say the phrase, it's been programmed into you. On this social network called Amity, A-M-T-Y, which is a specific social network for people who want to increase their mental health and awareness. Somebody posted on that, um, do what you can't. And it's a brief video, a four-minute video, about how this person was told all through their life they can't do this, they can't do that, they can't move to New York because they don't have money, they can't be a filmmaker because they don't have you know, these massive machines and boom cranes. And, and how many times are we told we have to do this and we can't do that? And how many times have we bought into it? These are really good questions to start asking yourself, especially when you realize that it's those assumptions and beliefs that you buy into that put into place the filters that drive your perception. In every situation, however many people that are watching that situation, you have at least that many different realities being experienced. And the message is, you can find your own pathway to freedom, to joy, to spiritual growth, to enlightenment, to fulfillment, to a better life, to a happier life, whatever you want to call it. And you don't have to do what any religion says. You don't have to do what any spiritual teacher says. You don't have to do what any book says. And in fact, you're probably going to be better off if you question every religion, every institution, every spiritual teacher, every book, and question it for yourself. Learning to go inside and ask yourself. Learning to live in the question. Learning to apply tools to remove anything that leaves you feeling tight or tense or negative in any way. So that you restore yourself to this awareness of your consciousness which is infinitely flexible and the flexibility we're talking about is the flexibility to choose joy the flexibility to awaken 
from belief and into freedom by questioning beliefs. The next essay is titled, Seeking Truth Beyond the Intellect. And it reads, when deciding whether something is true, especially when it comes to philosophical or spiritual topics, we tend to immediately consult the intellect. We think, wait, does this information jive with my own understanding? Or we think, how does this information fit with my existing beliefs? We tend to seek and interpret truth through intellectual understanding and through intellectually held beliefs. And yet, the larger spiritual context, try to follow this, the larger spiritual context fully transcends the human intellect. Truth, capital T, truth, transcends form. What we are capable of perceiving is a tiny slice of all of the energies that swirl around us. And within that little domain of the, the tiny slice of energies that we can perceive, we can formulate something that makes sense to us, but it only makes sense in that much restricted, confined, tiny context. It doesn't necessarily make sense at a deeper level, at a, at a bigger, vaster level. We know this from our hard science. We know that we have Newtonian physics that talks about things at, at greater, at the molecular level and above. And it says, you know, we have the rules, the laws of thermodynamics, and and they work, and they let us build cars and bridges and buildings, and and you know have tractors that do farming. It, it works. And yet, it doesn't hold. Those laws don't hold together at deeper levels, at the quantum level. Those laws would never let us travel through space to the moon or have satellites and cell phones. To understand that, there has to be an immense expansion of understanding and of input from from instruments that can measure things that our senses cannot perceive. And yet, when we're thinking about is something true, especially something philosophical or spiritual, we tend to compare it to what we've got in our intellect which has been programmed into us by people who were only focusing on the physical and who were only using language and who had been trained by their parents and their parents and their parents. And, and all this, this essay is trying to do is let you understand how limited that process is, how you're keeping yourself in a prison 
of just what's already been programmed into your intellect. The way mastery talks about, you know, that the, 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 the trivialities that have been programmed into your intellect, all your intellect can do is spit them back out. This essay goes on and says, and yet the larger spiritual context fully transcends the human intellect. Truth transcends form. Thus, if we wish to seek out what is true, we need to do so with more than just our conscious logical minds. We need to do so with all of our being. Our being, our consciousness, lasts. It goes on and on. Our being is actually connected to all things. But our human intellect is only a narrow, specialized subset of what we truly are. The portion of us focused on processing this seemingly dualistic nature of our physical world in truth, we are far more than that. And we may want to be careful not to confuse the shadow of man's understanding and metaphors which that which transcends them. The shadow of man's understanding and man's metaphors is not the same as what gives rise to man and man's ability to have these thoughts and perceptions. The physical universe is not fundamental. It will not do to try to understand all of reality with the physical mind. Consciousness is fundamental. So, if you wish to explore actuality, you need to do it with consciousness. You need to explore your consciousness. You need to get deeper in touch with your ability to be aware itself. Not your thoughts about your awareness. Awareness itself. The Way of Mastery says, as you pick up the tool of forgiveness, which is a specific tool in the way of mastery and in Michael Rice's work that is the process of dismantling my perceptions, especially any perception that leaves me in a negative emotion or attention. And the more I dismantle those false perceptions and my beliefs and my assumptions that give rise to them, the way of mastery says, the deeper it takes me into the purity of my own consciousness. That's exactly what they're talking about here. Just like Krishnamurti would say, my thoughts about the thing are not the thing. My thoughts about a person are not the person. My thoughts, my life experience of a person, whether it's somebody I've known my entire life or somebody that I met and got married to and we spent five or ten years together, my thoughts about a person, regardless of how long I've known them, is no more who they truly are than one Polaroid snapshot is of that person. 
the physical universe is not fundamental. It is not the foundation of all things. And so it will not do to try to understand all of reality with a physical tool like the mind. Consciousness itself is fundamental. And so if you truly want to understand reality, actuality, and explore it, you need to explore your consciousness. Remove everything that's less than love from your consciousness, and each time you do, you take yourself deeper into the purity of your own consciousness. That's from the Way of Mastery, Lesson 3. Essay number 63 is titled, The Responsibility is Ours. And it begins with a quote from Rumi. Rumi is quoted as saying, You are not just a drop in the ocean. You are the mighty ocean in the drop. And the essay reads, We are what is. We are the experiencers and the interpreters of our experience. We are the creators of our experience. Every single element of our world, every single experience that any being ever has here is ultimately our collective responsibility. Collective experience is rooted in the individual experience. As an individual experiencer, you are a fundamental key and part of the play that is occurring. Never overlook the importance and the power of individual responsibility. It is the root of all responsibility. There is never anyone other than, quote, I, the experiencer, close quotes, who is making the choices that affect others. And thus the responsibility for everything is yours, mine, and ours. There's no other group out there, no other individual or government or idea or location or force that can be blamed. We are the only ones that can be blamed, and we, the we, is rooted in you and me, the individuals. Some say, well, but I cannot change other people. Or they say, I cannot change the entire world. Here are two responses to that. First, you are not responsible for every other soul's choices. And you are responsible for your own. Very importantly, from the spiritual perspective, taking personal responsibility is enough. Second, you are far more powerful than you imagine. You are intrinsically connected to every single other thing in existence everywhere. You're connected to every single person, animal, and rock on the planet, and every star in the sky. When you change, reality changes, actuality changes. When you grow toward genuine love and you conquer your fear, the world is positively affected. 
That is true even if you do not see the effects visibly. A change in consciousness space always precedes, proceeds, precedes, comes before a change in physical space. Thus, the outlook of the world is not one of gloom, but of hope. For you do personally have the power to bring about meaningful, positive change. So the invitation is to take responsibility. The invitation is to take responsibility for your intent. The invitation is to notice your thoughts and your actions and your reasons. Why, in fact, are you doing what you are doing? What can you do to make things better? What personal fears can you take ownership for and confront? What one single step can you take to help make the world a better place for someone else today? You will find that as you accept responsibility, rather than being burdened, you are in fact freed from acting because acting from love always moves us closer to our true source of freedom and joy. So, I think that's enough of that. 563-999-3581. What's on your mind? What comments or questions? What answers? What suggestions do you have for people that I can interview, bring to the show, bring to the On Your Mind podcast? I believe I mentioned that when I was reading Pierre Pratervan's book and talking to him, he talked about the Educare Unlearning Foundation in Grafton, Illinois. 808, you should be in the air. Is this Roma? Well, I hope so. Am I in the air? You certainly are. Welcome. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Well, I'm calling from Maui, Hawaii. And uh, so it's early in the morning here. And uh, uh, as soon as I turned it on, I heard you say, choose joy. And then the very last thing in your discourse was the word joy. So I thought, okay, I gotta press I gotta press the button. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. Well, it's been it's been because, quite a while um, since you've done that, so let us know how we can support you to choose joy. Yeah. Well, you know, I've been I've been I've been being with what is and that isn't necessarily joy, but it has been a good experience for me to be with what is in my own experience and consciousness. But I forgot about the option of choosing joy. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I'm forgetting a lot of things nowadays, you know, things like how do I make miso soup, you know, 
<laughs> I can't remember. But because uh, I'm almost 80, I'll be 80 soon. And um, but I'm feeling healthy, and uh, and now I'm feeling joyful because I remembered. And thank you for reminding me. So I think I'll just try that as a psychological experiment today to try to remember to choose joy no matter what I'm experiencing. Which is just, well, as I, I said, I highly recommend one step it. on the ladder beyond being with what is necessarily. Yes, I highly recommend it. Yes, thank you very that, much. That along with things like uh, listening to the Pierre Pratervan interview on the Gentle Art of Blessing or... Uh, the interview on 365 Blessings to Heal Myself and the World. He has wonderful suggestions about choosing the focus of your thoughts and generating a loving energy in your heart space and then sending that out. Very much like Michael Rice's uh, love exchange for, either for yourself in the mirror or with another person in your presence and the idea is and Michael talks about this a little bit in some of his work that you can actually do that with somebody that's not in your presence well that's essentially what Pierre Pratervan has outlined in the gentle art of blessing it's essentially a love exchange with somebody who isn't right physically in front of you how do you spell his last name did it uh... I always R's spell it or... correctly. I, I know some people that mess it up, but I always <laughs> spell it correctly. P R A T. No, D is in dog. Oh, D. Okay. Okay. E R. E R. Uh huh. That makes sense. And then V is in Victor. Uh huh. V A N D. Oh, Prater Van. Oh, I see. Okay. Oh, my goodness. He is so uh, popular that a Google search will probably pull it up, even if you get close to the spelling. Or you could just yeah, type in The Gentle Art of Blessing as a book, and then you'll have his name listed. Well, my cat has decided that she's coming over to listen. She knows where the source is coming from here this morning. Yes, she does. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's beautiful. It's light outside now. Oh, I had a funny experience yesterday. I had my win my bedroom window was open and there's a screen on the outside of it. And all of it, and I was sitting on the bed, which is right near the window, about 5 feet away from the window. And uh, I heard this strange noise I've never heard before. And I looked up and there was this this black cat that was uh smashed up against my screen, arms and legs outstretched, <laughs> just like a cartoon. It was so funny. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, wow. So, um, anyway, there's no, there's no point to that story. I just found it very entertaining. I thought I'd share it. <laughs> okay, for those people that like uh, sprawled out cats, that would be a joyful story. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's pretty funny. Bringing joy to cat lovers everywhere. You know, I've seen well, I've seen cat cartoons in that position, but I've never seen an actual cat do that. <laughs> oh boy, it was funny. Yeah. Well, I'll get well, off and let someone else come on. 
Hope everybody's right. having a great day today. And uh, thank you so much, Kim, for the blessing that you are to all of us and your wisdom and your joy and, and your peace of mind. I was reading, I subscribed to a uh, magazine, a Buddhist magazine called Lion's Roar. And uh, so beautiful. I forgot what I was going to share with you about that. But anyway, um, I'm you are, it. You are fading in and out. I think you're moving away from your phone. I'm turning. You said something I, about I a magazine that is Lion's Roar? Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a Buddhist magazine. And, um, yeah, I like it. It just comes out every two months. It's only six six uh, six times a year. but So I, I look forward to it. I wait for it to come out. <laughs> But gorgeous, gorgeous photos of various different Buddhas from all over the planet. Really nice. So, uh, no, I, it's time for me to get off and let someone get on. All right. Blessings. Thank you okay. for the call. Thank you very much. So we have about six minutes left. Um, Again, I'll put the call out if you know somebody. Uh, if, you, if you've had any experience with the uh, Educare Unlearning Foundation in uh, Grafton, Illinois, um, that I'm going to be reaching out to them um, on Pierre Pradervan's recommendation. If you have another uh, author or a podcast that you listen to or a book you've read that you think would be of value, please send that along. Either call me directly with that recommendation or email me at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org and um, I will look into it and see if we can't arrange an interview Um, most often I do that after reading the book or listening to the podcast if that's something that you are going to be recommending and um, Nobody has a hand up. I will remind us all that there is this resource through Journey's Dream. Um, You can find it through onyourmindpodcast.org. Or you can go to YouTube and search for the On Your Mind Podcast, Journey's Dream, and get on that channel. There are well over 120, 125 interviews there of various people who are working to help rewrite the narrative on mental health to one in which optimal health and well-being are possible and expected. And that's a big a big part of the book that I was just finished reading and was interviewing Brooke Seam about because she has been an advocate for people to correctly and effectively come off of antidepressants or anti-anxiety agents that are not working well for them. And she does so in such a way that she writes beautifully, she's a very creative, intelligent person, and she, with great honesty, tells her story of the rather brutal journey she had trying to get off of those psychotropic meds after 15 years they put they put her on them when she was just 15 years old after her father died because that's just what they used to do. Apparently they still do it quite often, but there's a, a growing awareness that 
a mental health challenge or disruption in one's life is not a, the indication of a lack of Prozac or Effexor or Wellbutrin. And there are a number of other things that we can do. Therapy has been working on this. Therapists, psychologists, even some of the more enlightened psychiatrists have been working on this for decades to develop effective and efficient tools. Um, it really got a boost in that back in the 80s when managed care came in and said, we're only going to let you have three sessions to heal somebody, and then you're going to have to beg for every session after that. And while it was just a, a rather ridiculous set of circumstances on the face of it, it really prompted the psychologists and social workers to get creative and develop tools and techniques and principles for working with people that were effective and efficient, some of them just working on the symptoms, some of them working at a deeper level. Depth-oriented brief therapy, which is now called coherence therapy. The book, Depth-Oriented Brief Therapy, the subtitle was How to Work Deep When You Were Trained to Be Brief and Vice Versa. And that was solution-focused therapy came out of that. Practical tools for improving the qualities of people's lives, much like I keep talking about Dr. Michael Rice's work, were, were being developed in response to the managed care, I'll call it a crisis, back in the mid-'80s. So... Um, that's the end of our time. I'll remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. And I will welcome Jeannie Rice. And I'll Thank invite you, her to Jeannie. unmute herself. You. There she goes. <laughs> yes. Thank you. I appreciate that. Well, have a great show. Thank you. So welcome, everybody, to the second hour of My Searchers Radio, and today is Tuesday, May the 9th, 2023, and our calling number is 563-999-3581, and press 1, and that puts, we'd love to hear your comments and questions because that makes this your show. And while I'm waiting on Michael to get dialed in, I'll just say, it was back, um, hmm, I don't remember what year it was, but several years back before I met Michael and before I knew this work, um, my doctor also had, Dr. Tim was talking about the psychologist putting you on psychotropics and and uh, it is challenging because, you know, they they have just a brief time to work with you because insurance won't cover but so many sessions. And, you know, they had actually put me on a uh, drug to uh, calm my nerves and a 
another drug to help me sleep at night because I wasn't sleeping and I was had actually taken myself off of both of those before I met Michael and before I knew this work. But it was just, it was a way of drugging a person so they didn't feel, but the issue was still there. So when you came back off of the medication, you still had the exact same problem that you had to deal with. It didn't get rid of the problem. And um, so I'm going to just double check and make sure Gloria is not having technical difficulties to get on. And, um, but, you know, it's a lot of people use drugs in different ways and, and drugs being anything from busyness to uh, their anger to um, junk food, uh, alcohol, you know, recreational drugs, lots of, lots of ways to keep yourself from feeling and keep yourself from facing or dealing with what's going on. But when you come off of those uh, things that just uh, numb you, the issue is still there. So the solution is to go inside and to see what it is that, you know, is, is one way of looking at it. I was working with somebody the other day, and they were like, well, I don't want to go inside. I don't want to look at that. I don't want to deal with that. And it's like, well, you're dealing with it, even if it's on an unconscious level. And... It's not going to go away, so you might as well face it. And the good news is, you know, there's a automatic suppress mechanism that nothing is going to come forward unless you are vital enough to handle it. And so if something is in your face, then you can know for certainty that you can deal with it. It's just being willing to go through whatever it is to, to look at moving inside of you. And I'm going to welcome Michael to the show. Thank you, dear heart, and welcome, everybody. Delighted that you're here, honored. That once again, we get to share this space and talk about this first century Aramaic forgiveness work that is so life-changing. And, sweetie, were you answering someone's question with the comments you were making there? No. Um, I was kind of just going off at the tail end of Dr. Tim's um, show, and he was mentioning, you know, that uh, there were several things out there for addressing mental problems or emotional problems, and that used to, you know, the... Uh, uh, drug industry or the psychologist, psychiatrist, or whoever that you know, insurance only paid for a specific amount of time, you know, like three visits or four visits or whatever, and that wasn't enough to address whatever was going on for a person. So a lot of times they would just put them on a drug. And I was just sharing that, you know, before I met you, before I knew this work, I actually brought myself off of some drugs that the psychologist or psychiatrist that I was seeing uh, had prescribed for me and, you know, that people use a lot of things. They use alcohol or busyness or anger or whatever to keep from looking inside, but that when you quit using whatever drug it is, that the problem is still there. 
So I was just sharing a, a personal knowledge of, you know, yeah, it's hard to come off of those things, but you just got to realize that, you know, it's just keeping you like in a zombie state and it's not really uh, doing anything for the problem because the problem's inside. And we do already have a hand up. And I heard you say something through the wall, but you didn't come through the phone. Are you there? Well, then I'll say it through the window. Let's go for it. Let's talk to our <laughs> caller. All right. It's 864, I believe, that this is Joe. Welcome. Hey, what's up, cats? Hey there, young man. How are we doing? We're doing well. <laughs> hey. Doing well. So good. Gardening here. day you know, today. My, I had my I had my birthday, so I, I just assume I haven't received anything yet, but I assume it's in the mail or something. It might have got lost. That's okay. Oh, no, no. I understand. It, I'm sure it's on its way. Yeah, it's it's. I'm sure it's um, it's. Uh, you know, it's. I mean, it's probably. You know. It's, well, you uh, know. it's multi-dimensional. <laughs> it's dimensional. I, I understand that. I get it. Sometimes I'm not tuned in to the right frequency. There you go. Well, happy eternal <laughs> day. Hope go. it's the best one yet of your eternal life. Amen, brother. Amen, brothers and sisters. Yay. Did you did you see? I sent you an email on the. On I the, did. Um, you didn't I, see I, my I, response. Uh, uh-uh, I didn't see it. Oh, I responded. Okay. Good. Good. Okay. I had a reply to your email. Cool. Oh, good. Okay. Uh, what? Uh, let me just. It was Yahoo, right? I think. Um, there he is. Hmm. What'd you say, Miles? Sweet. I would change. One change I would offer One rather thing. than forgive. Yep. Yeah. Go ahead. I would. I would rather rather than forgive myself, forgive the realities that surface. Right. Okay. So you're you're saying willing to ask for help. And open to receive ideas yeah. and unlearn misperceptions. So I think it's great. I yeah. learned to forgive myself for my own realities. And remember that forgiveness is not about letting oneself or another off the hook. You might, you know, if you were to have that idea in there, it would more correctly be as I learned to pardon myself for my own realities and learn to forgive those realities from my mind, from my body. That is, remove them, if you think in terms of removal. Otherwise, I think... Okay, you're nice. on... Okay. Let me just clarify what you just said. It, it, The line reads, I learned to forgive myself for my own realities. Right. And what you're saying is, you're saying something different. Say, I learned to... Yes. So... What? Remember, the culture that we're in, right. it's almost universal. So it's almost universal thing to say is, I'll forgive myself, I'll forgive you. But what the Greeks did was they substituted pardoning for forgiveness. So the act that you're talking about there that you would do would be, I'll pardon myself, I'll let myself off the hook for that, and then I'll forgive that pained reality from my mind, from my body. I'll remove it. So if if I need to think in terms of pardoning, if I've been judging myself for something that I've been doing, then I'm going to pardon myself my reality and then I'm going to forgive us to my reality I'm going to move that reality from my mind be finished with it okay so so it's it's more of I learned to forgive the reality 
I learned to forgive the reality from my mind. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Never okay. forgive anybody or anything. For, uh, pardon me, anybody for anything, but forgive mm-hmm. continuously. Right. You know, work at the removal process whenever there's something that's less than love, and pardon yourself if necessary. You know, gee, I did something that was off the hook. I'm gonna, and I'm gonna, or pardon me, that was off the mark. So I'm gonna let myself off the hook. I'm gonna pardon myself. But I'm going to apply forgiveness to my the content of my mind, to my reality, not to me or you or anyone else. Well, I also think that... But nice... Um, uh, to add, no, go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, I, I, okay, so I learn... I learn I, I'm willing to forgive the reality from my mind and ask for help from you and our source, love. Perfect. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> Have other people And it's clear you know, that uh, that you know the the refinements you put in it, it's clear you've really been looking at and working the commitment. That's awesome. Right. And been yeah, a couple couple weeks now anyway, I don't know how long long enough to long enough to I think what came up certainly for Susan and or my interpretation was authenticity. You know the one the one that it's off the website is yours something you created with Jeannie and right. this is something I'm working to create with Susan. Sure. So your own specifics, absolutely. I'm with you hundred percent. Yeah. It's awesome to watch. Yeah, just a, yeah, cool. Other than that, uh it is cool. Just uh, yeah, it's very cool. Um had a nice trip out to Sedona. I recommend uh, it's a very fierce place. A lot of the plants and vegetation uh, looks like it wants to hurt you. But uh, I think Arizona in general is, you know, the desert environment of, of plants and so forth. They're just they have this toughness about them because there's not much water or, or nourishing, uh, nurturing environment. But it was it was interesting to, to, to experience. Yeah, imagine to survive in the environment. There's got to be a an element of toughness. That's probably a good word for it for the plants and, <laughs> and the creatures. Yeah, yeah. We we saw rattlesnake, uh, some mule deer. Uh, anyway, it was good. Uh, just wanted to get your feedback on that. My commitment. Well, that's my only that's thoughts, it? or otherwise, I think it's right on track. Awesome. Be in touch then. All right. Have a blessed one. Appreciate you. Thank you, sir. Extending love in your direction for both of you. Amen. Thank you, sir. And and a woman. Bye, Judy. Hey. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Good job, Jeff. All right. Take care. Bye bye. (laughs) I love it. Make it your own. Take every tool we got. Put your refinements in it. And. If you do that, you're certainly welcome at any time to share it with us. So if there are any of the subtle things that are off base, we can help keep it right on track. So, Jeannie, you started to say something, sweetie. Yeah, we just kind of started in the middle of of the conversation with, did you get my email? And we didn't let the listeners know what Joe had done was taken the commitment and uh, used 
kind of the basis of it as a template, but then personalized it between he and his partner. And he had sent it to us for us to read and get feedback on it. So we just kind of jumped in with the feedback and <laughs> said that was what that was about. And so we have plenty of time. Give us a call. One of my thoughts is let's, um, you know, everybody's pretty much familiar with the uh, commitment. So let's share the edits that Joe did just to take a look at, you know, the ideas that he put in that were important to him. And he starts out with, I commit to trust you to tell you the truth about my experiences with you. I commit to be true to you, to engage in just and fair behavior with you. I commit to being sweetness in your life, to nurture you always and treat you lovingly, gently, and with respect in my thoughts, words, and actions, whether in your presence or not. In every interaction, I commit to affection for you, to look for and recognize the love in you as I surrender to the love in me. When speaking to you, I commit to using my words to reflect the deep caring I have for you. Love, our source, will guide us in gratitude in our relationship. I like that one, Joe. Being willing to be guiding gratitude. Our awareness of mind and tranquility will always be more important than any issue that happens to come up. I open my life to embrace you in my love. I open my life to be embraced in your love. When issues of upset arise in me, I will hold us in my heart and listen. I will respond in a loving way with you to learn to speak, experience, and be responsible for my upset. Willing that this to ask for your help and open to receive ideas and unlearned misperceptions. I like that, uh, that wording, unlearned misperceptions. I learn to forgive as to myself, my own realities, to ask for help from you and our source, love. I'm here, born with you. I commit to speak and act in a truthful way with you. I commit to open, honest communication with you. I commit to keeping love conscious, active, and present. So we heal, celebrate life, and grow together. So that's a commitment that, you know, if you haven't done our Healing Through Relationships workshop, and we haven't had a lot of conversation about that in a while, it's a commitment that we suggest that you live unilaterally in your relationships. Some people will come back with, well, what if my partner won't do it? No, that's, your partner's not going to do it, but that's no reason why you shouldn't. Is it something that you trust and that you see will upgrade your mind? Then you do it unilaterally, whether your partner does it or not, at least to the degree that you can. And that's one of the most powerful ways to open the space for a partner who perhaps is resistant to being able to move into that space with you. So the unilateral living of the commitment and 
Remember that the objective with this work is first and foremost to live as a human being. And the way we define a human being is not with words, but by tapping into the experience of holding a newborn child, tapping into the essence of that newborn, we get to experience what the presence of love is. And it's, it's not something that you could ever build a castle of words big enough to contain. But if you go to that experience of holding a newborn, and, and notice when you hold a newborn, you know, of the tens, tens of thousands of people who've asked over the years that question, when they tap in, Virtually everybody's answer is some variation on the theme of love. So, conclusion, that's what we are. That's what human life is. Before we were tainted with the world of hostility or fear, our human life was the presence of love. Now, commitment is designed to support me in living as that in the context of a relationship with you. Of course, it's more fun if you've got two people that are efforting living that way, but absolutely not a requirement that your partner is in any way, shape, or form even interested in that. In fact, if someone isn't, it will lead to more opportunities and deeper levels of healing by making that commitment unilaterally. And so that's an offering from the Healing Through Relationships Workshop, a tool that we teach called My Commitment. And if you go to the website, whyagain.org, and look under My Commitment, you'll see there are several different versions of it. That's one to live within the context of uh, a more or less intimate relationship. There's one there to live with yourself. You know, when you're, when you're looking in the mirror, how am I going to treat myself lovingly, gently, and with respect? And unless you learn to do that with self, you know, if, if you're always sitting on the edge of a thought disorder about, gee, there's something wrong with me, which many people do because that's what their power person handed on to them. Oh, I have to behave a certain way. I have to look a certain way. I have to talk a certain way. I have to do everything a certain way. I have to be under the thumb all the time. That's where you want to start to live with that, in that commitment to yourself, treating yourself lovingly, gently, and with respect. And to the degree that you don't do that, it's impossible to treat anybody else that way. You'll remember the power person dynamic we've spoken of many times. And a power person dynamic is instilled in the mind, usually a child's mind, and usually in relationship to a parent. And there are three things that cause this power person dynamic to be instilled in a mind. Three conditions met and the field of the child opens wide, and they become like a sponge. Three conditions are, one, 
the power person has more power over child's life than the child does. Two, the power person is not functioning as a human being, is not functioning out of love. And three, the child experiences the circumstance as survival. When those three things occur, the child as an energy field, not as a body, but as an energy field, the energy field opens wide and literally absorbs every energy in the environment. Everything, mental, emotional, physical energy that's present is without any resistance, change, or contemplation of appropriateness, that energy is just drawn in by the child and becomes the foundation for the behavior of the rest of that child's life. What does that look like? Well, it depends how much stress is going on for the child. And the level of stress that one is under will determine what behavior people do. They'll proclaim, oh, there's a certain behavior I would never do, and they mean it, and they don't do it until they move into that space of being ultra-stressed. So the behaviors that people are limited to, and this I would offer is what runs the whole world. I mean everything. I mean education, church, home, government, business. Everything is run by this power person dynamic. And when I say run by it, what I mean is, the behaviors are determined by those power person dynamics within one's mind. So when there's no stress, what people do is whatever it is that they did to get along with their power person. So when there's little or no stress going on in someone's life, someone's mind, they'll do whatever they're to get along with their power person. When stress starts to build, they'll change their behavior and they'll go into doing whatever they did to resist and survive with their power person. And then when one becomes ultra-stressed, and this doesn't matter whether one's four or 94, when they become ultra-stressed, they'll do whatever their power person did to them that they hated the most. My offering is that's what runs the world. We were in Florida back several years ago, and we were invited by a man who ran a, a website for AA groups been sober for 30, I don't remember exactly, 30-some years. 
and that was his whole business with sobriety. And he invited us to come and speak. It was in Fort Lauderdale. He invited us to come to speak to his group, and we did, and we presented this power person dynamic. And afterward, he came to me, and he was kind of like a little bit like he had a bit of a chip on his shoulder, and it was like, well, that whole power person dynamic thing isn't true. I said, really? Why? How do you come to that conclusion? I said, well, when I was a kid, my father was a merciless abuser. I was beat just about every day of my life as a child. And I have a son. And I never laid a finger on my son. So I know that what you're saying is just not true. To which I responded, okay, I hear you. And how... Uh, my offering would be that you had the willpower not to lay your hands on your son, but how much time do you still spend having to restrain your own fists? And he just about broke down into tears, like like that's the battle I fight every day of my life. Having Not having forgiven the power person dynamic, it nagged and nagged and nagged. It nagged at him every day. When you apply the forgiveness process to that dynamic, that's when instead of struggling to keep from hitting someone because that's what your power person did to you, the thing you hated the most, you, you don't forgive the father that hit relentlessly you might choose to pardon the father that hit relentlessly, but you forgive the dynamic in your mind that has you wanting to hit another person. So there's how forgiveness is properly applied. You know, we, we live in a culture that's put together this idea that, you know, oh, well, we all need to be forgiven. No, we don't need to be forgiven. In fact, you will never be forgiven for anything because you can't be forgiven for anything. People will talk about, they'll even have bumper stickers that says, I'm forgiven. And that's just baloney. It's malarkey. Nobody has ever or will ever be forgiven for anything. We can talk about a false conversation, but we're substituting for forgiveness, pardoning. Oh, I'm going to pardon you. I'm going to let you off the hook. That's nice. That's pardoning, accurately. If you decide to let somebody off the hook, which can be a very nice thing to do and a very beneficial thing to do. But if you call that forgiveness, then you won't tend to go to the next level of dropping inside of your own unconscious mind and removing from that part of your mind that power person dynamic that when your ultra-stressed comes up and has you wanting to do behaviors that you abhor. One of the other challenges in getting to the refinements of that is that people tend to want to play this game of somebody else is responsible for what's going on inside of me. So, properly speaking, I pardon you, I forgive the dynamic in my mind that has me wanting to do a behavior toward you that violates experiencing myself as who I am, as love, and I get to maintain my human life. If you go to that passage in the ancient scriptures, 
where they ask Yeshua the question. It's most important in the law. He doesn't say, love God and love your neighbor as yourself, the way the Greeks have reported to us he did. In fact, it was quite the opposite. What he said, if you look at the words in Aramaic, what he said was, you must have rachma. So this is the law. And, and law in Aramaic is not the rule of a sphere. Law doesn't mean, oh, there's some guy up there with a beard in the sky, that if I don't do what that superior, that authority says, I'm in trouble. I'm going to get punished. That's not law at all in Aramaic. We've had that, both the word forgiveness and law have been totally and completely distorted and destroyed. Law in Aramaic is simply the way things work. So if we listen to that question being asked of Yeshua, in essence what people are saying is, so here I am, I want to function truly as a human being. What do I have to do to function as a human being? He doesn't say love God, love neighbor as yourself. He says, have rachma for the creator and neighbor. And by so doing, maintain self. In rachma, it turns out, it's a filter in the frontal lobes of the brain that allows only intentions that are keyed to love to become available in your mind. And that's important because intentions are the raw material of goals. And if the raw material of your goals are based in love, then your mind will function out of love. And perceptually, your, your guidance system will be based in love. And the second function of this filter called Rachma is that it is the gateway into which human life enters, into which love enters our human form. So, never was a suggestion given by Yeshua that we love our neighbor. In fact, it's a dangerous, dangerous directive to give someone without giving them the tools to heal their minds. Because when you give someone that directive and somebody's really committed like you know I'm really gonna love this person and of course we know that most of us have those energetic patterns that are less than love so if I have let's say some rage in me I'm going to tend to draw somebody with me and draw behaviors that will resonate my rage so if you as my neighbor show up, and in the Aramaic language, by the way, neighbor means anybody that you think about, if you as my neighbor show up and resonate my rage, and I'm here standing saying, oh, I need to love you, I need to love you, I need to love you, an impossibility, then I've set myself up for failure. If you as my neighbor show up and resonate my rage and I realize that my commitment is to keep my mind set in a condition of love, then my work it will be productive. It won't be about loving you. 
It will be about standing in the space with you as love. And it changes everything. So you show up and happen to resonate my rage, and I'm going to be, you know, if I'm thinking in terms of the commitment that Joe was just sharing with us, talking with us about, so I'm going to realize that the behavior you just did resonated in my rage, and my mind wants to go off on a tangent with rage, but that's not my commitment. And so if you resonate my rage and rage comes up and I point it at you, I haven't broken my commitment to you until I stop functioning as love. And so when my mind is motivated by my commitment to function as love and forgive everything unlike love, now I'm on a winning path. And I hope that refinement makes sense for everybody because it is a really key and important one. And of course, the process of forgiveness, if you're not engaged in it, you can go to our website, whyagain.org, and in the upper left-hand corner of the page, you can hit the link that says Start Here. And that will walk you through everything we know about forgiveness. There are, I, have, I could not tell you how many hours, but there are many, many, many hours of video, of audio, of work to be done to comprehend and to apply the tool of forgiveness and remembering that the tool of, re- of forgiveness is a tool of removal. I was talking to someone this morning and they were working with a company that was failing on several fronts. And they were like, well, I'm just going to, you know, make sure they get this all fixed and, you know, they've rejected it before, but I'm going to make sure that it's like, well... You could do that, and when I listen to the tone of your voice, you'll notice the frustration, the hostility that's in your voice. So you would be better off at this moment rather than you're going to force this company to do what you haven't been able to get them to do so far, and you're not likely to get them to do. You can, I mean, you can go up against the wall and build yourself more frustration, but I would suggest that you start out by canceling your goal for them to do it differently. If you're willing to deal with them, doing it the way they're doing it, knowing that at this moment they do not have the capacity for change, I believe, you know, from what you're telling me that it's coming, but they're not there. And if you demand it, you're just going to create stress in yourself and everybody else involved. So the core of forgiveness, and you'll notice that, You're never in a state, unless you're just a generally miserable person, you're never in a state that's less than love with someone unless they violate a goal you hold for them, whether that someone is yourself or or another. When you recognize that, you know, as long as everybody's doing what you want them to do, if you're the average person, you're quite happy with them. And that includes yourself. Notice you never point anger or rage or anything else like that at yourself as long as you're keeping up with everything you say you want to accomplish. And the same with everyone else. The reason it's important to look at that fact is that's the key way into forgiveness. Because if you're operating with someone 
and they are not fulfilling a goal for you, and you have energetic patterns in your mind that are off base with love in regard to whatever that issue is, that issue is going to come up in your face. And if you are, as most people are, card-carrying members in the universal one-world religion of blame, that it's all everybody else's fault, then what your mind is going to tend to do is to take its upset and use that upset to build your brain's image of someone else. And by so doing, they show up in your mind with your problems. Literally, your mind generates a reality about them based in what's unresolved that they've resonated in you. So in your mind, it looks like they have your problem. And it must be true because you can see it. Look at this. I have a reality. And I'm looking at them. Well, the truth is you're not looking at them at all. You're looking at a picture in your mind generated by your mind that tells you first and foremost about the internal conditions in your mind. And if you recognize that there's something off base with love in that internal condition in your mind, then you have work to do. Because it's you that's being dropped into or guided into some form of hostility or fear. So what do you do? What's forgiveness look like in that situation? You identify specifically and precisely the goal you have for that object of attention, whoever it is. And as I said earlier, it might be self. You look at the goal. The goal that you're willing to go, and you better do it, and if you don't, and on on that goes. And the word forgive in Aramaic is shabag or shabak, and it properly translated means to cancel. So what do I cancel? Do I cancel you? Well, that's murder. Probably not a good idea. Do I cancel myself? Well, suicide's no better idea than murder. What do I cancel? The key way into forgiveness is the canceling of my goal. The goal that I hold for you is the driver that causes my mind to use my pain to build my brain's image of you and really believe that you're the cause of my pain. And so when I cancel that goal, that driver, that pained construct in my mind collapses in on itself And when it collapses in on itself, it gives me access to the underlying dynamic that's hidden inside of me. The unconscious part of my mind that's being filtered through some form of hostility or fear. And when that drops in, if I drop into that state of mind, that aspect of my own mind, while holding love, conscious, active, and present, while sticking to my human life, then that energy begins its dissolution. And that is where forgiveness happens. Forgiveness is the dissolution of the energies of any form of hostility or fear that I hold within me that can distort my perception of myself, of life, or of you. And my offering is that the purpose of life is to kick us right square in the limitation, to show us what we're holding on to. 
And so if there's an energy with which we're destroying ourselves, life is going to, through resonance, hone in on that energy and send someone to play it out with you. And if we stop the game of projection, and projection is the act of taking something inside of me and making a picture of you out of it. The culture generally teaches that projection is taking something inside of me and putting it outside of me. But that's not projection. That's externalization. Projection is taking an energy pattern based in some form of hostility or fear and building my brain's image of you out of it, projecting it into my brain's image of you. And in order to heal, I need to collapse that. And the collapsing of that projection is called forgiveness. When that picture collapses, the part of my mind that I've been hiding from myself, I now have direct access to you too. And thank you for showing it to me. And now I can apply the process of forgiveness and remove that energy that perhaps has been there for a dozen generations in my bloodline, but I didn't even know it was there. So in a nutshell, that's the whole forgiveness process. And what we are here to understand and put to work. And so, Miss Ginny, do we have anybody in the phone queue with a hand up or anything happening in the chat room? We do have a hand up, and I believe it's Miss awesome. Susan, Looks area like code 610. You're on the air. Howdy, Welcome. folks. Hey. So, Michael, you uh, just gave, a, uh, I've heard this teaching, speech in various ways before, but, you know, it bears hearing again. And my biggest question is, if you have Rachma installed, I picture just getting up in the morning and sitting quietly and saying, all right, here's my filter. I'm sliding it into my frontal lobes, and I'm sliding Kuba into the back. And I'm going to go around with this filter active. I'm cultivating my relationship with love in me. Yeah. But I'm assuming that if you do that, you will experience a lot of joy in your life. That's exactly what happens. Physiologically. Well, then I'm... (laughs) Sorry, what? I say that is exactly what will happen, and you will experience that joy physiologically. Well, I think I might know what you mean, but tell me what you mean. Physiologically, you feel we, you feel really well in your body and you feel anyway, you say. Well, my take would be that when we're living as human beings, we come to life out of a state of connectedness to love that produces a sensation in the body that is wondrous and amazing. Mm-hmm. I've had moments of that. I 
figure we all have had moments of that. But I just read an essay that Dr. Kim is reading a book called A Walk in the Physical, and it, I've told you about it before. <clears throat> he has a, an essay called Choose Joy. <clears throat> he doesn't talk about Rahman Kuba, but he certainly would be have those filters in place for this. But my question right. is, how do you, I mean, if you're choosing joy, you're choosing, first of all, to live like a human being and to be, um, have Rahma and Kuba well installed. But I don't, and so the idea of choosing joy directly has never really worked for me. I thought, I can't find it. I can't get there. I don't know how to do that. Right. It kind of comes comes upon you as a result of those exactly. other things. Yes. Okay. It's a secondary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love Dilhar okay. de Chardin uh, yeah. is a paleontologist from back in the 50s, and his right. statement has always been a light in my life when he said, the infallible sign of the, now he says that the presence of God <laughs> or love is joy. And uh, I like to adjust that a little bit because that's not really the infallible sign of the presence of God. It is that presence that produces the joy. So it would be the awareness of the presence of God or love that brings mm-hmm. us joy. Because if it were, in fact, just the infallible sign of the presence of the Creator, then we'd all be in joy 24-7, 365, because we can't be out of the presence of the Creator. But we can lose our awareness of it by paying attention to realities generated out of hostility or fear. And that's why the forgiveness process is about removing that and stepping back into that connected space of joy. Yeah. And I feel it, I, I experience it, and I was actually, you know, we shared yesterday this journey that we made up into uh, this reserve where the um, trilliums were at their peak of, of blooming. And for me, it was one of the things that I experienced a, a, a significant part of that um, walking, and we did a pretty long hike through these trillium fields and for me it it was like a a, when I say physiologically a presence of pleasure that I experienced in my chest Mm. that's how for me it feels physiologically when I'm in that Mm -hmm. yeah and it's almost like kind of you know the thought comes it's almost like Ultimately, when we get to that, that's what we lead our lives with. That's what you know what goes before us is that presence. Mm. If we're in tension, if we're in sympathetic dominance, if hostility, fear, protection mode is up, then there's no room for that. Yeah. And if well, we were, you know, born and raised you know, in a threatening environment, and that's become a chronic condition that, you know, People live in that. I mean, over the years, it, it um, it's kind of abhorrent, but over the years, I can't even start to count how many people have, when I've spoken about love or joy, you know, do our workshops or traveling and such, would come up and say, 
you know, I, I don't even know what you're talking about. It's like you're talking a foreign, talking a foreign language. I, I don't have mm-hmm. that experience. It's like, oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. But sadly, that's pretty common. You know, people who've had, you know, they've done a lot of research on childhood trauma and identified, I forget, it was six or eight different childhood traumas and something like 60% of the culture have got, I forget the number, someone got four or more of those traumas in their lives. It could yeah. be hard for that person to experience the actual presence of joy in their physiology, but to me, that's where it's designed to be experienced. And for me, that's kind of one of the ways I measure how I'm doing with my own process and my own inner work. Good. Well, I have a couple of questions for you. They're sort of hovering around this area. Um, awesome. We, you, you listened to the story and the, the opera story and, and so forth yesterday, and I had been so tired, and the fatigue has lasted all night and into today, and I contacted both my heart doctor and the regular doctor via a message and just said, look, this is really pretty severe, and it may not be related to a medication, but you did, the heart doctor put me on a statin drug. I'm trying to attack this from all angles. Sure. And he said, I told him that I had had a very mild case of COVID, and I was wondering, is this exhaustion? It was long COVID. And he wrote back and said, it's doubtful that it's this, but why don't you stop it for two weeks? You'll find out if, and then go back on it. I don't like going on to medications, and you know all about that. But um, right. so he was good. He said, "Go off of it and see what happens." Uh, and I have an appointment tomorrow with a new doctor to test thyroid function because my my. Um, Stamina has been sliding slowly for ever, you know, about a year maybe, and I think it might be age, but I'm not sure because my mom was very vigorous until 95. But along with that and running parallel is the work you did with me yesterday and the fact that you thought I was in a healing crisis, and there is something to that, I think, I did, a wor- I did a worksheet on my doctor not having been up for the job. I think you're right. She, she just didn't have tools like yours and didn't know how to handle a person like me at that time. And you said doing a worksheet on it. I tried to do it, but and it's weird, and this is my question. I don't, I'm not aware of any anger at her for that, nor have I ever been angry at my mother. I don't know whether those are parallel. And then I called a a psychic therapist friend of mine, kind of wild person who I, she's a good friend. I told her about the thing and she said, oh my God, I know what it is. That woman was your mother in a past life. And that doesn't resonate at all either. So, Right, um, right. 
uh, I don't know how what, how useful that would be if I discovered she was a. So it happened back then. Well, it happened, and it's happened this time. So what difference? Anyway, um, I was just curious about the fact you wanted me to do a wake-up sheet. You seemed quite adamant about it. You had an insight, something to do with her not being able to take me all the way to where I needed to go or something like that. Do you remember that at all? I do. The thought that comes, if if you just take a breath or two, is to invite okay. you to just go back and... When do you first remember being angry with your mother? I don't remember being angry with her ever. I'm telling you no. the truth. I've thought about this. Well, my my take would be that, you know, Shakespeare said, my words fly up, my thoughts remain below. Uh-huh. And informed us that we only use language that relates to what we're dealing with. And so if there was never anger with your mother, then I don't think in a thousand years you'd ever say there was never anger with my mother. I think what you'd say is, oh, you know, I've always been approving, connected, and loving with my mother. But when I say... Well, that's not either. <laughs> okay, well, what, what would be the alternative? The, what, what's the not true part include? I haven't felt close to her or connected, but I have felt sorry that she was so miserable that I felt as if I should, the best I could do would be to take care of her somehow. And that was the strong impulse with this therapist. I would fantasize that she was in a car accident or something, and I'd come along, and I'd help her, and I'd nurse her, and I'd do all these things to heal her, to help heal her. That was the strongest wish I had to help my mom be okay. Yeah. So so what I hear as a possibility in that, and I'm just throwing this out and see how it feels to you, is that if I could just be good enough to rescue her from trauma, then she'd approve of me. Or she would, quote, unquote, love me. I'm sure you're right, but I don't get to that feeling at all, except I know that when I learned to play the piano or danced well. It was to get the audience to love me, to get people to love me. It's all it's all in the mix. Get attention, yeah. Yeah. So we watch um, an interesting I think you've got Netflix, right? I you used to that before? we don't Oh you don't know it. Okay. Yeah. What's the movie? I could get it. We just watched uh, uh, a thing that was done on... Gene, do you remember what the name of that was? American Girl or Americana? That we watched the other night? In the event, we had touched into, and the artist's name is... It's uh, Taylor Swift, and it's called Miss Americana. Yeah, Taylor hmm. Swift, Miss Americana. And I Taylor think you probably like, get parts of it on YouTube as well. Yeah, she's like a top, I don't know if you're familiar with her, but oh, I know. a top country mm-hmm. music star. Yeah. And 
the whole theme of it and where she went into break, it's a very intimate look into her life, very personal. And the recurrent theme is her awareness and her acknowledgement that from when she was the smallest child, everything she did was to get everybody's approval and that that transferred yeah. into her becoming this huge star. And, you know, it was all to get the applause and the approval of the audience. Mm-hmm. And if, if one, and so my thought was, if you had the facility, the ability to watch that, that might just resonate, uh, stir more of what this is about for you. That, yeah. you know, that, that you'd go to the point, well, I, if I could, or I see this person in a place where they're very hurt and I become the rescuer, the healer, then mm-hmm. I'm good enough. Then I get the approval. Oh, I think that's true. And my offering would be, specifically because you use the words not, I approve of my mom, I cherish my mom, I've always cherished my mom, I always will cherish my You know, whatever those descriptors could be. It was like, with both the therapist and mother was, well, I've, I've never been angry. There's no anger toward them. It's like, you know, we're getting ready to um, to make a trip. You know, let's say we're thinking about going to see my son in Kansas City. Is there any reason under God's green earth why, in talking to you about the fact that we're going to see my son in Kansas City, that I'd say, and we're not going to New York? Why would I say we're not going to New York? Well, there obviously had to be something about New York in the puzzle, in the picture. And we changed our minds about it. Right? We're not going to New York, we're going to Kansas City. But if I were just going to Kansas City, I'd never bring up New York or New Orleans or Amsterdam or Africa or China. I wouldn't bring any of those things up because none of that's firing in brain cells. The fact that Mm -hmm. your words, the automatic conversation you go to, and it it was the same for both of them, this doctor and mom were, was no anger there. Mm -hmm. It indicate to me that the brain cells that are firing in the unconscious, my words fly up, but my thought isn't really accessible to me. And that's where I came up, come up with the question of, so when do you, when do you remember first having this anger toward mom? Mm-hmm. And so maybe a mind shifter of it's safe and healing for me to look at all events related to anger in my whole life. Well, that would be easy. It's safe and, but yeah, it's safe and healing for me to look at all events related to anger in my life, particularly toward my mom, and see what surfaces, see if that opens anything. But well, <laughs> the but is, I can think of a gazillion times I've been enraged by one thing or another. It's like that man you told about just in this time, the father who said, "Well, oh, it's not true." I'm not a power person to my son, even though my father was rough with me. I never, and you said, well, how, how, how much time do you spend restraining your fists? Well, I have had plenty of rage, um, and I used to express it mainly to a dish that didn't fall into place or a, a cabinet door that I bumped into, but I thought it was the cabinet door that hit me. Uh, stuff like that. It, safe things to be angry at. Safe, safe. Those are the things. Yeah. Not safe to be angry at your mother. So I'd go into it safe and healing for me to look at 
all occasions of anger toward my mom and let yourself drop into that breathe and and see what you find there because you're the, the words definitely indicate that that's the direction that your healing lies that would be my offering and and we are down the last few seconds the show's going to cut us off but we'll continue the conversation okay. until it decides to disconnect us okay but that's the direction <laughs> i take my work at this point if i were you and then allow that space, that which you can easily take out on a dish, <laughs> to be filled with that presence of joy that we're designed for, that mm. physiologically is designed to express in every cell or structure 24-7-365. That would be my vote for you, and I'd join you in it and do it too, on a whole <laughs> new level for me. <laughs> oh, boy. Thank you. Honored, delighted, and opening the space for everybody in our audience to do the same. Like, create this ring of support and moving through those dynamics. 